Right, so as you can see, the title of this sermon is Imputed Righteousness of Faith. And it's one of those core doctrines, it would have to be a core doctrine of Christianity. Um, And I'm not sure about anyone else, I haven't, haven't heard much spoken on this subject. Uh, but Paul especially really hammers this imputed righteousness and, and a lot of Romans is spent on the subject. It's a, it's a doctrine that is so important because there's two issues as I see it that mankind has with God and there are two ways in which Jesus remedies this problem. Now one of the issues is the issue of our sin and the other is our falling short of God's standard of behaviour. Jesus in going to the cross remedies the issue of sin by making atonement for our sin and most Christians I hope have an understanding of the doctrine of atonement. That is without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. But there's also the problem of not meeting God's standard, which Jesus also addressed by being born under the law. For 30 odd years he lived a perfect life, so fulfilling the law and gaining the righteousness of the law. So that by obedience he corrected that which Adam lost by disobedience. So as descendants of Adam, we inherited corruption and unrighteousness. But in Christ, by faith, we gain not only the forgiveness of sin, but also his righteousness, for it is imputed to those that believe, as we'll find out. Now Paul said in Romans 5, 18-19, Therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Or as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. So it's this imputed righteousness that we're looking at today. Now in Hebrews 11.6 it says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now it's this verse I want you to keep in mind as we go through um, the sermon today, because it's a key uh, to understanding the subject. Without faith it is impossible to please God. So what is imputed righteousness? Where in scriptures do we find it? How is it obtained? And why is it important to understand this doctrine for the believer? Now to understand this we need to understand what we mean by imputed righteousness. Now imputed means 
to accredit or to reckon to another's account something they have not themselves earned. Righteousness is the condition of being proven or declared morally excellent or perfect. And faith means complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So what we mean in Christianity by imputed righteousness of faith is because of complete faith, trust and confidence in God, i.e. we believe God, he then imputes, that is, accredits or reckons or declares those that believe to be righteous, which is to be morally excellent or perfect. It means we have something put to our account that we have not earned or even merited. But God, willing to show mercy to mankind, is willing to give us this credit if we believe in him. When you look at it, at what it means to be righteous, that is to be morally perfect, we don't have to look very hard at ourselves to see that we're not only deficient in this area, but also it is totally impossible for us to reach that standard of being morally perfect by our own efforts. And the thought of trying to do so would drive us to despair, which is why this doctrine of imputed righteousness is so important. And alongside the atonement is how God makes salvation obtainable to any that will believe. Now this accreditation goes the other way also. Our sins were accredited to Christ so that he could bear the punishment for that sin on our behalf to satisfy the perfect justice of God. And the righteousness that he earned from the law that is, of being morally perfect by the keeping of the law in all its aspects, by action, thought and desire, so that the righteousness he earned can be accredited to, accredited to those that believe. This is called the substitution. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul said, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might might be made the righteousness of God in him. So where do we see this doctrine of imputed righteousness in scripture? We see the first outworking of this plan of righteousness by faith in Genesis with Abraham. So Genesis 5, 15, 1-6 And after these things the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast not given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowel shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heavens, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. 
And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. We see in this first description of righteousness by faith, the imputation came about simply because Abraham, who, laid, who God later called Abraham, believed what God said in regard to an heir. And not only an heir, but an untold future, untold number of future descendants, even though it appeared in the physical to be impossible. Yet Abraham believed God would perform that which he promised. That a childless old man and old lady would have so many descendants that as you can't count all the stars, you wouldn't be able to count their descendants. <coughs> Abraham believed this incredible promise and God declared him righteous. That is morally perfect. Now we see here that Abraham did no work to gain this righteousness, but gained it simply by believing God. Now Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom. And one of the aspects of a little child is their simple trust. If you say to a small child, we'll go to the park and get an ice cream today, they will believe you and fully expect you will not only do it, but are capable of doing what you was promised. And this is the faith Abraham displayed here. God made Abraham a promise. And Abraham simply believed that God would do what was promised. The how wasn't Abraham's problem. I missed one somewhere. <coughs> Paul in Romans 4.16.25 used this episode to really make the point of righteousness by faith. I was meant to have that on overhead, but I've somehow missed it. Therefore, it is of faith. So it's Romans 4, 16, 25. Use your own Bibles. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all those that believe I have got it there therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so the promise might be to sure to all who all the seed not only to those who are of the law but also to those who are of faith of Abraham who is the father of us all as it is written I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as through they did, who contrary to hope and hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us, 
that shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offences and was raised again because of our justification. So we see that Abraham, the one called the father of faith, was counted righteous, not because of his works, but because he believed God, and God declared him righteous. It was a righteousness that was imputed to Abraham, not because of anything he'd done, but simply because he believed what God said. And he believed that what God said he would do, because he trusted God. This principle that was shown to Abraham, God in his mercy extends to all who would believe him. As Paul says in Romans 4 or 5, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now Abraham's faith wasn't perfect. At times he doubted. Twice he lied about his relationship with Sarah, his wife, out of fear. And there was a time when no ear appeared so he thought he would help God out. But in Abraham's failings, God was still faithful to the promise. And in those times when Abraham struggled, God's faithfulness was displayed. Even when Abraham got it wrong, God was building up Abraham's faith, preparing him for that great test of obedience when asked to offer up the son of promise on the altar. But by this time, Abraham's faith and trust in God had been built up to such a level by God's faithfulness even in Abraham's failings, that Abraham never doubted the command. See, Abraham knew that Isaac was a promised child, and he knew that through Isaac was the promised line, and he knew God's promise, and he knew the faithfulness of God. But what he didn't know was how God was going to fulfil the promise if he had sacrificed the son of promise. But Abraham knew that God would keep that promise somehow as he had when Sarah had conceived in old age. All those things that had gone before were training and developing Abraham's faith and trust in God. In Abraham's offering of Isaac, the obedience came because Abraham not only believed God, but also trusted him. And trust is the component of faith that needs to be developed. You see, you can believe in God, yet not trust Him. And if you don't trust Him, it's not faith. Abraham trusted God because God had proven Himself faithful to Abraham in many difficult situations. So we like Abraham, when contrary to evidence, in hope, believe God, and not wavering at the promise of God through unbelief, being fully convinced that what he had promised he is also able to perform, not considering the impossibility of the promise, but believing that he who promised is faithful, we also, when we consider them the possibility of obtaining righteousness requirements of the law, Believe him who promised will do that which is impossible for us. Then like Abraham, because of that belief, 
God then declares us who believe righteous because of faith. You can see the wisdom and mercy of God who would make a way where it is possible for the unrighteous to become righteous. To take that which isn't and declare that it is. It's not hard to see who the chief benefactors are in this deal, but it's one that God in his mercy allowed, for there is no other way for mankind to be morally perfect except it be accredited to us. For us to come before a morally perfect God, we ourselves must also be likewise, otherwise our sin will cause us to flee such perfection, or to even call it evil. So it's on the basis of Jesus' righteousness that God accepts humans. This acceptance is also referred to as justification, and it can only be obtained by faith. So why is this imputed righteousness so important? Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall no why case enter in in the kingdom of heaven. So does that mean we, like the Pharisees, must be out in the garden tithing all our garden herbs and trying to keep every aspect of the law perfectly? Well, if you're trying to be morally perfect by your own efforts, you must. And don't forget the weightier matters of the law. And even if you manage to keep every part of the law, what about the inside? How will you clean up the heart from which all sin and wickedness comes? All you will have become by your own efforts is a whitened tomb, clean on the outside but inside full of dead man's bones. And even if you violate the teeniest aspect of the law, then you have failed and aren't morally perfect. And you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Paul understood this, which is why he considered his former life as a Pharisee as dung compared to the righteousness he obtained in Christ through faith. So you can see then that without faith it is impossible to please God. So our only hope then of obtaining that righteousness necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven as if God will impute it to us by faith. That is, taking something that isn't and declaring that it is. It is taking something we do not have and giving it to us. Now you may say, isn't that denying reality? Like we see in this modern age where people go around claiming to be something they clearly are not? No. Because God can take something that is not and make it something that is, like he did with Abraham and Sarah. He declared a childless old couple would have so many descendants you can't count them, and then made it so. And likewise, he can take the most vilest of sinners and turn them into the greatest of saints, if they would but trust him to do so. So then God can make this declaration of one that isn't, because he can bring it about and make them one that is. And we can now see what a great hope and blessing this imputed righteousness is 
for it is our only hope of obtaining the kingdom of heaven. And it's only because of God's great mercy that he made this possible. What an incredible thought to be declared righteous, even though I know that I am not. But knowing that God will take that which isn't and make it that which is. This is called sanctification. This should give all sinners hope, the only hope of attaining the kingdom of heaven. So we see that for Christ's sake, God will not only forgive us our sin, but will also impute his righteousness righteousness to us because of faith. Should we sin then that God's grace may abound more? As Paul said, God forbid. It should grieve us deeply that in ourselves we still fall short. But we rejoice greatly that God's grace abounds towards us. For even though we fall short in ourselves of God's righteousness, his imputed righteousness of faith, accredited to our account, still stands. And we will never be able to say, I no longer need God's grace. It should humble us greatly that the righteousness of Christ is bestowed upon us by faith. And we should do nothing to tarnish that which has been given us. This imputed righteousness that has been declared righteous when you think about it is the only way any of us can be righteous. And it's the great mercy and grace of God that he provides a way of salvation that isn't dependent upon us and what we do but simply from believing in Christ and he will declare us righteous. As Christians we will always struggle with the assurance of our salvation until we truly understand the righteousness by faith doctrine. For if we think or even have an unconscious belief that I must do this or that for salvation or to please God, then that is works. And you can never have an assurance of salvation with works for you can never know if you've done enough good works to be saved. And then what of your past sin? How will you undo them? But what a blessed relief it is when we understand that we aren't saved by anything we do, but by faith in Christ alone, who not only atoned for our sin, but imputes his righteousness to us also. So when we truly understand this doctrine of imputed righteousness and salvation by grace alone, it truly humbles us, for we can see we have done nothing to earn it, or even to merit it. And none of us can even know why God brought us to saving faith, except he thought it good to do so. So all we can do is bow to the sovereignty of God and give thanks. And from that humble understanding that God, for his own reasons, brought me to saving faith, in humility live a life of faith that reflects that gratitude. This doctrine of grace kills all pride and self-sufficiency when we realise that God could from rocks raise up better children for Abraham. Yet in his great mercy he chose to take that which isn't to make it something that is, for that will give him greater glory. 
when you think about it, turning rocks into children for Abraham would be a simple matter for God. But to turn sinners into Abraham's children is a very great miracle indeed. This lifeboat of grace is a great leveller. For since we who are Christ have all been saved by grace, for reasons none of us can say, none is better than another. Even though we all have different callings and abilities, we're all in the same lifeboat of grace, and we always will be. Now to demonstrate the impossibility of trying to obtain righteousness of the law by our own efforts, it would be a bit like trying to become a billionaire by our own efforts. Using an analogy, let's say righteousness is like money. Now I'm not saying that filthy lucre is righteousness, but I'm just using it to paint a picture. Now let's say God said, if you want to enter heaven, you'll need a million dollars, or a billion dollars, or a zillion dollars, or whatever large amount of money you can't even imagine. What chance would we have of ever obtaining such a large amount? And worse than that, you already owe a large amount. So even if you worked every hour of your life, you could never pay such large sums. And it would drive you to despair trying. But this is what it is to obtain righteousness by works. You could never gain enough to enter, let alone to even pay off the debt. It's clearly impossible to obtain God's righteous standard by our own efforts. And God set this impossibly high standard so that righteousness can only come from faith. And since it's by grace, no one can boast but can only trust in God. So we know that for most of us, no matter how many hours we work, there's no way we'll ever be multi-millionaires. In fact, we wouldn't even get close. The only way would be if someone accredited millions into our account. But we wouldn't have a lot to boast about. We gained something that we didn't work for because of the generosity of another. To enter the kingdom of heaven by our own efforts is clearly impossible. For Jesus said, except you are born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. Well, how do you go about birthing yourself again? Well, you can't. Only God can do the recreation. What about our sin? Only God can forgive sin. And you can't even be righteous except God accredits accredits it to our account. So that doesn't leave us much we can do to be right with God except to throw ourselves on God's mercy and trust Him to do what He promised. The stumbling block that people struggle with of righteousness is that failing to understand that righteousness comes from believing God, they then try to make their own righteousness by keeping laws and regulations, as as Paul states in Romans 3.10. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And in Romans 9.32, Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, 
but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. The issue I think people struggle with as salvation is by God's grace alone, is it then removes salvation from their control. We can have no control or input, so that means we can only trust in the goodness and trustworthiness of God to fulfil the promise. And I guess we struggle with the control because we don't fully trust God. We may think we believe Him, in Him, yet not trust Him. For if we truly trusted God, we would happily leave it in His hands to perform what He promised, and will do a far better job of it than us. But that grace gives us no room for pride. Now any works not done out of faith in Christ is dead works. If even subconsciously we are thinking, I've done this or that, then I must be right with God, then that is not done out of faith, i.e. trust. But it's trying to be righteous by your own efforts. It's being self-righteous. And you're not trusting Christ alone to save you. But you're thinking I'm right because of my works. In fact, you're implying God owes me. We are saved by Christ alone and we only get into heaven by Christ alone. There is not a single good work I have done that has contributed or added to my salvation or has increased my righteousness. Our only plea before God can only be Christ and his atonement and righteousness. Now this tendency to fall back on justification by works is something we must be very alert for. We as humans have this tendency to drift back to what comes naturally. And we see even in the early church this was happening. And Paul was constantly fighting against this tendency in the church. Paul tuned up the Galatians for this when he said, Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Having started in faith, are you made perfect by works? And even the Apostle Peter had to be corrected. So it's something we must be aware of and alert for. We can in no way contribute or add to what God has given lest we, like Abraham, think we can help God out. If we don't clearly understand God's standard of righteousness, which is by faith, or we only have an intellectual understanding of it, then we'll tend to drift back to self-obtaining righteousness, and we're not submitting to God's righteousness. Now it's clear that we are all under sin, for as descendants of Adam, we have inherited his sin nature because of his disobedience. So all are in need of being justified. And that is why many do good works, because they instinctively know that something is wrong, and somehow they must justify themselves. This is why there are so many religions of works. You must do this or that. In fact, biblical Christianity is unique in that it teaches we're made right with God by faith in Christ alone. 
Now for the application of this imputed righteousness principle, what must we believe to gain this righteousness by faith? Paul tells us in Romans 3, 20, 26, Therefore by the deeds of the Lord no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is a knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And in Galatians 2.16 Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So we see the promise we must believe to gain the imputed righteousness is to believe in Jesus and who he is and what he has done and in the promises he has given. And then because of that faith, in Christ to do what he said we're not only forgiven that is our debt is paid but God de de then declares as he did with Abraham that we are righteous it's the righteousness of faith and that is how we enter the kingdom of heaven through faith in Christ for he has done all that is necessary on the behalf of all that will believe So if salvation is by faith, why was the law given then? The law was given to show us what sin is, to show us that we are all sinners and we're all condemned to death for breaking the law, and to show us the impossibility of obtaining the righteousness of the law, for it's impossible for any flesh to perfectly keep the law, so that salvation will be by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and for his glory alone that no flesh can boast. For as Paul says in Galatians 2.21 I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. So like Abraham we believe God so accounted righteous and become ears to the promise and as Abraham is considered the father of faith we by faith become as children and heirs to the promise made to Abraham. As Paul states this in Galatians 3.29 And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now thinking of this, the question we should all be asking is why? Why would God do this? Why would he allow another to take our sin and our punishment? 
Why would he impute another's righteousness to those who have only caused them trouble and grief? The answer can only be love. For it's only the love that seeks the best for another. It can only be that God in his love and mercy, seeing the pitiful state of the children of man, seeing their bondage to sin, seeing that they are enslaved by the devil, seeing their mortal sorrow and misery, seeing their helplessness to escape, seeing their fear of death which is so great that they try to avoid it by performing the most extreme and hard religious acts to justify themselves. So from his compassion for the lost, he clothed himself in humanity to join himself to that lost race so as to redeem them from that bondage, to show them that they were created for a much higher calling and to bring those lost sheep back to the Father. He provided for the atonement of our sin and imputes his righteousness by faith to those that will believe to free that poor miserable race from their bondage. So in conclusion, if we're trying to do good works by our own efforts, to carry favour with God or to obtain our own righteousness, then we're not only not going to obtain the righteousness the law demands, but in fact we'll be displeasing to God. For what is not of faith is sin. So without faith it's impossible to please God. So that means that the only way to please God is to have faith in him, as did Abraham. And that faith in God is what saves us, for he has done the rest. Romans 5, 1-2 Therefore being justified, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now to finish, maybe there's someone here that says, I believe in God, but you have no faith in him, for you have no relationship with him. So how can you trust him? Why don't you take that last step and trust him, for he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Turn to Christ, have no faith in yourself, but have faith in the one that atoned for your sin. For surely that's proof enough of his trustworthiness. Trust the one who can impute to you the righteousness of faith, and has the power to rebirth you as a new creation so that you can come before God and call him Father. And for all of us who are Christ, remember we can only come before the Father because we wear another, another's clothes, as it were, the imputed righteousness of faith. Oh Lord Jesus, how can we thank you enough? for what you've done for us. Lord, that you would take on flesh. You'd become one of us. Lord, you would take our sin upon yourself and, and pay the penalty of that sin, even though you were righteous. 
and Lord that you would impute your righteousness to sinners because of faith Lord help us to truly understand this doctrine to the depths of our being that our trust in you we grow stronger and be solely in you Lord to, to perform all your promise towards your people Lord those who don't understand this doctrine Lord open their understanding Lord that they will call on your name and be saved Lord free free them from their bondage to sin so Heavenly Father we we give you thanks for what you have done for us the lengths you've gone and for the greatness of your love and compassion, Lord, that we cannot even begin to comprehend.